let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Let's, let's worship Jesus together. Let's continue in the worship of Jesus together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that you have given us another day of breath. We owe our very lives. You are the one who gives us life. Father, you own us. We exist for your glory. And Father, we are just in awe of you because of who you are. Holy and just and perfect and, and beautiful and perfection and gracious and loving. We are undeserving of your love and, un, and your grace, but you, you lavish us with your love and grace in so many ways, in all of creation, but also by the glory of the Son, Christ Jesus, who came and took on flesh. And Father, in, in these moments, we, we are even highlighting that um, as a people. When Jesus, when the second person of the Trinity, he came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. What a wonderful and amazing miracle you showed us. And so, Father, we pray for, uh, um, we pray and we ask for your help in this time that we would be able to just see and your scriptures for what they are, change our hearts where we need to be changed, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um, when I was really young, I, I would say about five, maybe six years old, I have this distinct memory about Christmas, as many of you probably do. Things like the anticipation of, of gift-giving and what was in those presents and, and seeing them under the tree. Now, some of you had other ideas because you were just smarter than me. You knew how to, like, elaborately take those gifts apart and then put them back together so you could figure out what they were. Possibly no one here, but most likely someone here probably did that. But I never did that, just so you know. But anticipating gifts and gift-giving and Christmas together, anticipating that cocoa and, or milk and the cookie that my parents would mysteriously put out and say, we're giving it to Santa Claus. And I would come in the next morning because I was young. I didn't, I didn't totally get it. And the cookie would have a bite in it and the milk would be gone. And it was this amazing mystery to me. I had this other, this distinct memory about Christmas season was driving down the road and my mom or my dad said, oh, I think I saw Santa Claus. And I remember like driving down the road. I'm like, I think I did too. I think I did too. Now, I say that uh, for a number of reasons because there's this question about what Christmas is. And um, just, I, I, I'm going to ruin Christmas for some people in some sense, but in another way, I'm going to elevate Christmas today for the glory of God. You see, I didn't totally understand Christmas at that young age. And I do think that parents can help their children understand Christmas in a very powerful and, uh, and, and true way. Now, I realize that some of the things I'll say today, this, this can actually uh, make some grandparents a little upset with the way I'll talk about Christmas, but I will tell you this, that Christmas is a big deal, not because of Santa Claus, but because of Christ Jesus and who he is and what he came to do for us and for his glory. You see, even though I did not totally understand that, we know that culture has one thing to say about what Christmas is, and, and tr the Bible has another thing to say about what it is. You see, in culture, uh, Christmas is uh, just ma mainly about gift-giving, but it's also about another thing called intense consumerism. It's about a credit card debt in January. It's about uh, pushing an economy forward, just to be real blunt and jagged about it. But Christmas is actually so much more 
than that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't exchange gifts. I think it's a great symbol of showing people about the gift giver himself, God, who gives the most amazing gift of all. And even our children, in a very simple way, can understand that amazing miracle. But the question for the day is, what, what is Christmas? We know the culture sees it one way, and the Bible sees it a completely different other way, in a glorious and beautiful way. And I, I want to deal with that today, this morning, as we look into the scriptures. In the scriptures that we will see this morning, what we were going to see is the answer to that question. The answer to that question of what Christmas is, is that Christmas is about God saving the way he wants to. And secondly, not only is it about the God of heaven saving the way he wants to, it is him saving a people who do not deserve to be saved. Another way to say it is, it is about God saving a people who do not deserve to be saved or a people that are lowly, a people that are wicked, a people who are sinful. And every single one of us in this room can identify with being a sinner because of the things we do, the things we say, the things we think, the struggles and the weaknesses that we have. The pleading with God, I want to be better in this, Father, forgive me. I know it's not about what I can do for you, it's about what you did for me, despite my weakness. But those two things about God who saves and the fact that he saves sinners, we will see that. And so if you will take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of uh, Luke chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 2, we'll be looking starting in verse 1. We'll be dealing with uh, these qu this question, answer, and you will see the answer right here in the, in the text of Scripture in the amazing story of the arrival of Jesus and the praises that are sung to him. Now, as we look at this text, there's a couple of things that will come up in your minds, perhaps, as you hear it read and, and think about it. There'll be some things that'll go on. One of the things that we will see is we will see a setting in which um, is actually a rather difficult setting for the people of Israel. The people of Israel come from this heritage, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is an entire people that God was rescuing, okay? And they are in a season of their history where they are uh, really oppressed in the particular government that they are in. Now, it doesn't just come outright and say that right here, but you can see the clues of it happening in the text. Because you will see the fact that they are being told to go to a particular location to sign up and register, if you will, for taxes and other types of things in their setting. They are doing this because they are under the uh, regime of another people, by the way. So it is a glorious time that we'll see in history, but it also is a difficult time for this particular people. And as we move through the text, we will see something else happen. We will see, see, we'll see things like a, a, a a woman named Mary, who we hear about, a virgin. A woman that has not had uh, a child by, the norm, by normal means, but by a miracle of God, the presence of God. When it was foretold in the scriptures, when the angel told Mary, will overshadow you, the presence of God causing this young maiden, this, this girl who has not been married, to have a child, as foretold in the scriptures. We will also see a strange word in there. In your, in your translation, it will say betrothed. I know in our context, we say things like engaged, right? But a betrothal, and I think the footnote of your ESV does a great job of just pointing out, it talks about it being a legal 
engagement or something to that effect, because that's what it is. You see, um, a, a betrothal in the early centuries was not a consummation of the marriage, but a legal binding marriage. You can sort that out in your minds. Um, I think you totally get it. But you'll see some of those things take place. And then you'll see a particular kind of people that the angels of God will go and herald the message of this good news to. And the question is why? Why do they go to these particular type of people, these shepherds? And we'll see why as we go through the text. So if we look, chapter 2, verse 1, dealing with the question, what is Christmas? And the answer to that question, it is about God who saves the way he wants to. Let me, look at, let me, let me read this, and then we will we'll explain. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Not a big deal, right? Just, but this is a people that is under the regime of another. They're going to a place designated by this government. This was the first registration from Quirinius was when he was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, there's that word, who was with child, she's pregnant, not by normal means, but by supernatural means. So here's the deal. We say that God is saving the way he wants to. Let me tell you something very intriguing about this passage here and this history that's going on here. You see, these people are told to go register, and they are not in this particular location when they start. The scriptures tell us that the Messiah, this anointed one, the second person of the triune God would be born in this location. And the means in which God uses is a pagan government to cause the people to show up at this location. Do you see that? What we see is a God who is in control of human history. This is a mighty and powerful God. He saves the way he wants to. You see, this pagan world is saying, by force, come be registered so we can tax you or do whatever else we need to do to keep track of you. No plan of what God is doing in the background, but what God is doing and planning and fulfilling what he said he would do is sending a particular person to the location where he had foretold in the scriptures where he would be born, and so he will be born there. God saves the way he wants to. And I might say he also saves who he, who he wants to. And so, now, Joseph is from the line of David. The scriptures foretell, again, that he would be, that this Messiah would come from that lineage. And while, in verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, in the ancient world, um, homes would be, that would be an upper portion. There's a number of different ways, but there'd be an upper portion where you'd fit everyone, and the lower part would be a place where you'd bring the animals in at night because it'd be very cold in this area. 
if you have sheep or goats or whatever, you, can't, you don't just go to the market, right? Things aren't, refrigeration isn't happening. It's, you know, like you, you have to have your own you know, animals and things to kind of sustain you. And so this lower portion of the home would be where you would have the animals and therefore a feeding trough. And one of the things that we see here is that Jesus is born in humble circumstances. Here we have King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who is the Christ, the one who spoke the universe into creation, coming and taking on flesh and being born in humble circumstances of a poor neighborhood. And this shows us that God is coming to regular people like you and me, regular, normal people, to all kinds of people in a world where they can't imagine a savior to the people that are less. And Jesus would be wrapped, according to this type of tradition, and swaddling, making them nice and tight like a little burrito. You know, children, let me tell you something. When you were born, your mom and dad learned how to do something very fascinating. They learned how to make burritos out of little babies. You, um, you would wrap the little babies like a little, 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 like little chimichanga burrito, like nice and tight. Some of you were like kind of big, but others, these little tight little burrito, and you just, you know, and then they would, they would hand the nurse, you know, give you to us, and we're like, is this our baby? We don't even know, like, what to do here, and then it was confusing, you know, anyway, but, be, but here what's going on is they were, he was wrapped in these swaddling. Now, this is important because what's happening is there's going to be a sign for these people that are pretty close by, namely these shepherds that God is going to go to. These angels are going to go and announce the, com the coming of this birth, this Messiah who would come. Anyway, so he would be in this humble circumstances, in this manger, in a poor neighborhood, and that it's just packed. This is actually why. This is why. There's no room in the inn. There's no room in the household because all these people have come from all over the place to be registered. So there's standing room only. It's just crowded. It doesn't mean that their dad, doesn't mean that Joseph was, was you know, a bad planner. It means, like, it's packed in the city. Everyone is there to be registered, and they're all there, and there's no room, and there's standing room, and, so, and the family's together, and there's no place, and you just squeeze them in the manger in this feeding trough. God saves the way he wants to. He did it through a pagan government that couldn't possibly plan to bring the Messiah here, but God, in his control of the universe and, this, and countries and nations, has sent him to be born where he said he would be born. That is powerful, brother and sister. God is doing his work, and he will accomplish his work. The second thing, not only does God save the way he wants to, but he saves a very normal people, sinners. As you read on in the text, verse 8, it says, and, the same, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. By the way, when you have a night job, hey, I'm not bagging on anyone that has a night job. I'm just saying sometimes it's kind of the sucky time to work. It is not usually the best time. If you're like a night on, you want that, okay. I mean, but typically, most human beings do not want to work throughout the night. When you're watching animals throughout the night, it's kind of the lower end job. If you read commentator after commentator and historian after historian, what you'll find is that the reputation of shepherds is not a good reputation. They are kind of the lowly. They are not seen as reliable. 
they have all these strikes against them. Now, look, in, now here's the thing. There's this really, um, there's other themes in the Bible about shepherding. I mean, we have a shepherd. God, he's a good shepherd in contrast to a bad shepherd. He cares for us. He nurtures us. He takes us to good waters. But, but the shepherds, they're kind of lowly, and they don't have a great reputation, and the angels go to them. Not only does God save the way he wants to, but he saves sinners like you and me. Normal, white-collar, blue-collar, rich, poor, people that make children, people that make big mistakes. God saves even them. And in the same region, I'm going to read it again, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, the glory of the Lord. They're going to be very, very fearful, and they were filled with fear. Isn't it interesting when angels show up, people, the very first response from people is fear. It's kind of, they're kind of scary. I'm not saying they're not beautiful or Glorify. It's just like the glory of God is kind of terrifying and beautiful and awesome all at once. They're filled with fear. But the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born of this day the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there were with the angel a multitude, it means a lot, of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men, those with whom he is pleased. By the way, we learned from Hebrews, it is impossible, impossible to please God without faith. So the one who pleases God must actually trust God. If you do not trust God, you, you cannot please him. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pleased and peace from God come to those who trust in him. And those who trust him is because God has done a change in our hearts and made us from dead men and women to living ones, spiritually speaking. So not only does God save the way he wants to, mightily and powerfully, and even throughout, through corrupt governments, but he saves regular people like you and me, blue-collar, white-collar, lowly people, People that know they make big mistakes. Because salvation is not about what we bring to God, but it's about what God has brought to us. Jesus, who is the Christ. The Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. And this is what it looked like in those first nights. And people came, and angels sang, and the lowliest of lowly came and got to see first. And when you think, I have done too wrong, I have made, I've got too much shame, remember, he came to the lowly, he came to people like us, he came to those who have sinned, who actually know they have sinned. But be careful if you think, no, that's not me, I'm not a sinner. I, I'm not that bad, I'm a really good guy. Because if that's the way you think, you don't know the gospel. You see, good news are, are for those 
who know they need salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, those two things I want you to know this morning, that God saves the way he wants to. He does it mightily. And God saves regular, normal people that have messed up really bad. And that is good news for us. And we answer, this is, how, this is the answer to the question of what Christmas is. Christmas is about a Savior, one who saves mightily, and one who saves wretched sinners like ourselves. This is what Christmas is about. Boys and girls, young people, Christmas is about this. When you see gifts, remember the gift giver, God, who sent his son, and it is the most amazing and miraculous gift of all, that he would forgive sinners like us. Let's pray. The Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this Christmas, the reminder of the good news of the gospel. The Father, we are so undeserving, but we are so grateful that you save the way you do, and you save people like us. You save sinners. So we thank you, and we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. At Branches, one of the things we do every single week is we come together to the Lord's table, and we take communion. We, have, we take the wine, and we have juice as well, and bread. These two symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus. And Jesus tells us, instructs us in the Bible to do this in remembrance of him, of what he has done, his atoning sacrifice on a bloody cross. The people of God speak about the blood a lot because it is a, only by the blood that we are ma made, washed clean by Jesus' blood in particular. If you are a Christian, this table's for you. If you do not consider yourself a Christian, if you are not convinced you are a Christian, if you don't know if you're a Christian, you know, please abstain from taking these elements. Th this, these elements are for those that uh, have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And it's okay to see what we do. But if you are a Christian, then this table is for you. Remember what God has done for us through the Son. It is the most amazing miracle of all. So when you are ready, come. Come to the table. Come remembering your forgiveness of sins. Come remembering that you have been washed clean. Not by your own doing, but by the doing of God himself. So when you're ready, come.
We've uh, um, had a special family service by having lots of little voices in here. We don't do that every week, but uh, it is such a joy to have our little people with us and to, and to see them on stage and, and participate in worship with us. You know, it's, it's really easy to, um, to kind of push kids aside, but they are an important part of the family of God. That's one of the things I just want you to know. We don't always do it like this. A lot of times our, our kids are, are, are in their kids' ministry, but, but it's just wonderful to have them here with us. Will you raise your hands for the benediction? Now to the one who saves mightily and powerful, may he save those who do not know him by his grace, and may we be reminded that he saves us mightily by his grace. Regular people, people that are in desperate need of him. Amen. Go in peace and Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters.